Welcome back to Max Madness. Yeah, we are. We're we're Scatman in this. Doing we're doing it again. again. Uh, welcome back to. Uh, we're not current now, so like. Usually yeah. we're only a couple days away from you hearing the episode. This is one of those ones where it's gonna be like a week or so. We're, so if we're getting back to our old our roots, where there's there's not a big gap of time, where we're not like months ahead of we we were at one yeah, point. Yeah, the glory days. <laughs> the glory days. Uh, but for the most part, we're not months ahead or anything. Uh, but we're getting a little little cash in there, totally. and uh, that's hopefully gonna help you uh, by helping us force ourselves to do two a week. Yeah, uh, but we're not doing that with nothing in the bank no. because. That would be because we've learned our lessons. So, um, <laughs> yes, we, we've learned. <laughs> but that being said, yes. This, uh, so if again, uh, full disclaimer: if the revolution has happened uh, since uh, mm-hmm. before this episode happened, uh, you can you can ignore this. We're doing revolution. We're doing it, guys. We don't you know you don't have to read this one yeah. right now. Uh, we'll get back to it. We'll get yeah. back to it when you got time. Um, but other other than that, you're probably still at home in quarantine. So uh, listen to a book. Come on, it's gonna be fun. We're gonna do it. Um, Last week on Mark's Madness, David forgot which side Sherman played on. And you'll know that because I'm yeah. forcing him to uh, make uh, a picture of Sherman with uh, a Confederate flag and a Union flag and a question mark as the uh, episode artwork. Just uh, <laughs> at uh, just I am going to have to know. Yeah, I'm going to have oh, to. Yeah, myself no, like no. That. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, if you guys. Yeah. So you'll probably notice a lot of edits, a lot of very small snip edits in the next one. I'm going to have to carefully curate that so that, you know, I'm a dumbass in the la- in the but, next one, in the last one, in the one that was a in week the last ago. one. We're time traveling. Uh, so David. you'll notice you'll have noticed things where, where you know I'm a dumbass, but I probably will cut out the parts that would confuse people because of my confusion. Because our point is not to miseducate people. No, no, we don't want to. And if we're going to do that, we're going to do it by like saying that Mao had superpowers or something. Definitely not by confusing <laughs> which side Sherman fought on. Um, yeah, but no, yeah, something something fun, something's jazzy. Um, all right. That being said. We are jumping forward onto page 77. We have finished. We we were diligently finishing the quote from uh, Mr. Whiteclaw Reed last time. Yes. Um, yes. We're always going to call. I don't care if his name's Whitelaw. He's no, going to be Whiteclaw Reed. He's Whiteclaw Reed. Reed. Uh, yeah. And I and I hope he never yeah. I hope he never shows up again, but I'm just going to in my heart hope he's there somewhere. Um to the aid of gov- of the government, and even before the government took definite organized hold, came religious and benevolent organizations. Ah, uh, here we go. The first was the American Missionary Association, the the good AMA, maybe I don't know, which grew out of the organization of for the defense of Negroes who rebelled and captured the slave ship Amistad and brought it into Connecticut in 1837. What? I'm going with the good AMA. Yeah, All right, I'm, I'll I'm, take I'm it. doing that. When this association yeah, yeah. heard from Butler and Pierce, it responded promptly and had several representatives at Hampton in South Carolina before the end of the year 1861. They extended their work in 1862 and three, establishing missions down the Atlantic coast and in Missouri whoop, and along the Mississippi. By 1864, they had reached the Negroes in nearly all the southern states. The reports of Pierce, DuPont, and Sherman aroused the whole of the North. Churches and missionary societies responded. The friends contributed. The work of the Northern Benevolent Societies began to be felt, and money, clothing, and finally men and women as helpers and teachers came to the various centers. The scope of our work was greatly enlarged by the arrival of white refugees, a movement which later assumed very large proportions as time went on. Cairo, Illinois, became the center of our activities in this direction. It was the most. Uh, And I will say, too, as someone that went to uh, southeast Missouri State in in Cape Girardeau, uh, all of the people there call it Cairo and it's infuriating. It's oh, they're they're psychopaths. Why would you why would you pronounce the same word differently? This this is southern southern. you know, Illinois, just east of the boot heel uh, of Missouri. So, I mean, yeah, you'll hear. I Cairo. mean, in in just to equally own myself, uh, going to the southwestern side of Missouri, we didn't have to deal with Cairo uh, quite as much, but we did deal with Lebanon, Missouri, which is spelled the exact <laughs> same way as Lebanon, the you know country that yeah. we just and they just yeah. refuse to call it Lebanon. Uh, they refuse <laughs> to call it Lebanon. It's, it's Lebanon, and if you say it otherwise, you're a terrorist. Um, it's, it's fun. It's fun. Uh, It was the most northerly of any of our camps and served as the portal through which thousands of poor whites and Negroes were sent into the loyal states as fast as opportunities offered for providing them with homes and employment. Many of those became permanent residents. Some were sent home by Union soldiers to carry on the work in the shop or on the farm, which the war had interrupted. It became necessary to have a superintendent at Cairo and facilities for organizing the bands of refugees who were sent north by the army. There was an increasing demand for work. 
New organizations arose. An educational commission was organized in Boston, suggested by the reports of Pierce, and worked chiefly in South Carolina. Afterward, it became New England Freedmen's Aid Society and worked in all the southern states. February 22nd, 1862, the National Freedmen's Relief Association was formed in New York City. During the first year, it worked on the Atlantic coast and then broadened to the whole south. The Port Royal Relief Committee of Philadelphia, later known as the Pennsylvania Freedmen's Relief Association, and the National Freedmen's Relief Association of the District of Columbia, the Contraband Relief Association of Cincinnati, afterward called the Western Freedmen's Commission, the Women's Aid Association of Philadelphia, and the Friends Association, all arose and worked. Holy shit, that's a lot of associations. The number increased yeah. and extends into the Northwest. The Christian Commission, ah, that's worrisome, organized for the benefit of soldiers, turned its attention to Negroes. In England, at Manchester and London were Freedmen's Aid Societies, which raised funds, and funds were received from France and Ireland. Weird. Naturally, there was much rivalry and duplication of work. A union of effort was suggested in 1862 by the Secretary of the Treasury and, and accomplished March 22, 1865, when the American Freedmen's Union Commission was incorporated. With branches in the chief cities, among its officers were Chief Justice Chase... Wait, did the Chase Bank guy go from being a secretary to being the head of the Supreme Court? Like, what the, what the hell's going on here? Uh, and William Lloyd Garrison. There could there could be more than one too. I mean, these these big like Chase Manhattan families. Uh, assuming he's part of it, which would not shock me. Um, I would not be surprised if like six or seven of them were in different government positions at a time. A la the Kennedy. No, I'm assuming it's the same guy. He just wears different hats. And oh, okay. today he's the Secretary of the Treasury. He takes it off and puts on his wig and his cloak, and now he's the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. He's doing a real Eddie Murphy <laughs> in the clumps kind of a thing here. Just doing all the roles um so okay so and william lloyd garrison was there too and i should know who that is but i don't i don't care in 1861 <laughs> two large voluntary organizations to reduce suffering and mortality among the freedmen were formed the western sanitary commission at st louis you and the united states sanitary commission at washington with branches in leading cities then began to relieve the distress of the freedmen hospitals were improved supplies distributed and yeatman's plan for labor devised all right yeatman what's going on Destitute white refugees were helped to a large extent, but even then, all of those efforts reached but a small portion of the mass of people freed from slavery. David, tell us about President Yeatman. Late in 1863, President Yeatman, the man of Yeat, uh, of Western Sanitary Commission, uh, visited the freedmen in, Miss in the Mississippi Valley. He saw the abuses of the leasing system and suggested a plan for organizing free labor in leasing plantations. It provided for a bureau established by the government to take charge of leasing land and to secure justice and freedom from, to the freedmen. Hospital farms and homes for the young and aged were able to be established. Schools with compulsory attendance were to be opened. Yeatman accompanied yeah, Mellon back again. and... <laughs> Yep, the agent of the department to Vicksburg in order to inaugurate the plan to carry it into effect. His plan was adopted by Mellon and was, on the whole, most satisfactory. So again, you know, I mean, they're, they're already starting to have an issue with landlords and leases throughout this stuff. But when it's regulated, you know, the the funds are going up to public good, public school establishments, things like that. And so when it's followed through, this is a good plan. Otherwise, it's 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 fangs out landlords, and I feel like that's some terrifying foreshadowing from what we know. Of oh Reconstruction. yeah, I have a feeling this is going to go very uh, well. No issues at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's your Chekhov's gun. Let's get reading. Uh, thus, confusion and lack of system were the natural result of general strike. Yet the Negroes had accomplished their first aim in those parts of the South dominated by the Federal Army. They had largely escaped from the plantation discipline, were receiving wages as free laborers, and had protection from violence and justice in some of the court. About 20,000 of them were in the District of Columbia, 100,000 in Virginia, 50,000 in North Carolina, 50,000 in South Carolina, and as many more in each Georgia and Louisiana. The Valley of the Mississippi, which I don't know why they're calling it that instead of Mississippi Valley now, uh, was filled with the settlers under the Treasury Department of the Army. Here were nearly 500,000 former slaves, but were 3.5 million more. These Negroes needed only assurance that they would be freed and the opportunity only the and the opportunity of joining the Northern Army. In larger and larger numbers, they filtered into the armies of the North, and in just uh, the proportion of the Northern Armies became in earnest and proposed uh, actually to force the South to stay in the Union, and not to make simply a demonstration, and such a proportion to the Negroes became valuable as laborers, and doubly valuable as withdrawing labor from the South. After the first foolish year when the South woke up to the fact that there was going to be a real long war and the North realized just what the war meant in blood and money, the whole relation of the North to the Negro and the Negro to the North changed. 
the position of the Negro was strategic. His was the only appeal which would bring sympathy from Europe. Despite strong economic bonds with the South and prevent recognition of a Southern nation built on slavery, the free Negroes in the North, together with the abolitionists, were clamoring. To them, a war against the South simply had to be a war against slavery. Gradually, abolitionists no longer needed to fear the mob. Disgruntled leaders of the church and state began to talk of freedom. Slowly but surely, an economic dispute and political test of strength took the aspects of a great moral crusade. The Negro became, in the first year of a first year contraband of war, that is, property belonging to the enemy and valuable to the invader. And in addition to that, he became, to the, as to the South, quickly saw, the key to Southern resistance. Either these four million laborers remained quietly at work to raise food to, for the fighters, or the fighters starved. Simultaneously, when the dream of the North and manpower produced riots, only additional troops that the North could depend on were 200,000 Negroes, for without them, as Lincoln said, the North could not have won the war. But this is slow, stubborn mutiny of the Negro slave was not merely a matter of 200,000 black soldiers and perhaps 300,000 other black laborers, servants, spies, and helpers. Back of this half million stood 3.5 million more. Without their labor, the South would starve. With arms in their hands, Negroes would form a fighting force which could replace every single northern white soldier fighting listlessly and against his will with a black man fighting for freedom. Damn. This action... This action of the slaves was followed by the disaffection of poor whites. So long as the planters' war s seemed successful, there was little active position by the poorer whites, but the conscription of other burdens to support a slave owner's war became very severe. The whites not interested in the cause became recalcitrant, and some went into active opposition. And at last, it was more desertion and disunion than anything else brought uh, about the final overthrow. So... We're going to pause yeah. right here for a second, and 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 obviously, there's a lot of stuff of brewing. <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> why? Um, so importantly, you're seeing something. You know, we touched on this last time, where people have to liberate themselves. Yeah. Or maybe not last time. It's probably a few times. <laughs> people have to liberate themselves. We, I think, we've said that once or twice over the course of the show. Yes. Yeah, and uh, and so. Part of the problem of Reconstruction is it was handled not by the slaves overthrowing all their masters all the way up through past the U.S. government and just taking over, right? There was still like a cap, a leadership over them who had to enforce Reconstruction and basically screwed them over because it wasn't in those masters' interests. Um, so they weren't able to free themselves uh, from the North as well, just from the South. And that's, that's a big part of why Reconstruction failed because whites and moderates and, and right wingers in the North and, and the collaborationists in the South, you know, all kind of fucked that up after the war. Uh, but nonetheless, the whole reason this thing came about, uh, as an end to slavery is abolitionism was because black people freed themselves. They forced the issue. Uh, there was a civil war brewing, uh, because the South, you know, as we talked about, had, concerns about slavery um and was you know really worried about competing economically with the north and when crisis set in uh there was a big issue with the country's economics the north depended on that south's labor and couldn't lose that or they would lose you know all of their economic power and they would go from you know this rising burgeoning power on track with with europe with the specialist south uh to bring them about you know all this agribusiness and cotton that they in europe depended on into a very weak European power. So they had to fight for it. And so what the slaves did is they pressed the issue. They joined the Northern armies more than the North could even turn them away. Uh, but even more than the half million joining the armies, the other three and a half million now are in a position where the South is depending on them. And if they organize and strike and flip the South, the bird, the South is fucked and they're calling the shots as far as whether slavery goes away. Yeah. Uh, so now back to the work. Phillips says the white, that white mechanics in 1861 demanded that permanent Confederate constitution exclude Negroes from employment except oh, agricultural course. domestic service so as to reserve the trades for white artisans. Beyond this, of course, was a more subtle reason that, as the years went on, very carefully developed and encouraged for a time the racial aspect of slavery. Before the war, there had been intermingling of white and black blood, and some of white planters openly recognized their colored sons, daughters, and cousins, and took them under their special protection. As slavery hardened, the racial basis was emphasized, but it was not until war that it became the fashion 
to pat the disenfranchised poor white men on the back and tell them after all he was white and that he and the planters had a common object in keeping the white man mass superior this virus increased yeah sorry just to interject with an ew real quick no, yeah, very, very gross. Uh, this virus increased with the bitterness and relentless hatred, and after the war, it became a chief ingredient in the division of the working class of the southern states. So again, it was the Civil War that freed uh, black men. It was also the Civil War because of the conduct of the of the oppressors who were losing their slaves, who did not want to lose their power, that largely divided this working class amongst white and black people. Uh, so it's not black people dividing the working class. Never be a class reductionist and say it's colonized people. Uh, they are fighting uh, for decolonization, uh, for taking off the throes of oppression, and they're doing every damn thing they can. It's white people uh, listening to masters that say, no, your interest is in being white, and going, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. But, yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, and attacking uh, the very people that are worried about freeing themselves that you have a common interest in and you have a common oppressor with. Uh, so, you know, no, class reductionism, no. But as far as what should you do as white people, you should worry about, you know, those black people being free. If they're still slaves, they can't fight alongside you. You're never going to get rid of these masters, right? And and obviously, this is an extremity for the, the time that, that we're talking about now. But even now, you know, if they're if they're uh, going to prison in, in large masses and getting fucked over with prison slavery and brutal prison conditions, if they're seeing lacking health care, if they're seeing lacking social safety net, uh, if they're, you know, seeing low paying and domestic labors. I mean, we just t- saw in this last paragraph where it's laying, you know, kind of the seeds uh, for domestic and service labor continually being a black uh, thing and and you know of course we see today that's something that leans on uh, people of color especially uh, black indigenous people of color uh, especially women uh, in these industries this is the seeds being laid there uh, and then also you know you kind of see and and we figured out this uh, this word last time it was one of those things that fall in and out of your vocabulary, but miscegenation. Yeah, is that what miscegenation. You call it the, yeah, yes. Yeah. We got yeah, we got called out for not knowing what that was. Uh, we showed our north. Yeah. We showed our northern uh, roots there by not not yeah. being intimately not being taught from an early age what miscegenation was and why it's a, a horrible thing. I, I was gonna say you should know better, Arkansas I'm boy. Not from there, <laughs> I just got family there. It's not my fault. No, I know. I I've got some racist ass. Um, except family from from times beach so i i get it i that's just our failure yeah. uh but we we got we know that word now uh but you're seeing where that gets reinforced you know we talked about the roots of that in an earlier chapter but now you're seeing how that's getting reinforced and carried out and so you're seeing uh the seeds being planted of jim crow yep plant and and man they're gonna come back and, and sow those you know harvest those seeds well Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, during the war, even race arguments did not keep the Southern fighters from noticing the anger that the big slaveholders were escaping military service and that it was a rich man's war and a poor man's fight. So, again, I mean, this is something very true. Oh, yeah. But when you're when you're sympathizing. Uh, it, so this is the thing where, like, this is true and this should be drilled in the head of, of anyone who is a soldier, is you know, thinking about becoming a soldier, drive people away from the fight, uh, revolutionary defeatism, in this case of the Confederacy, and, and in our modern case, of the United States, very, very big thing. Uh, but also remember, like, just like here, you know, you see a rich man's war and a poor man's fight. And you go, oh, yeah, you know, it's not like the real victims of, of this war were the poor white Southerners who were thinking about fighting for the Confederacy either. Um, so I mean, this is a good personification of, of how you handle that line. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the exemption of owners of 20 Negroes from military service especially rankled, and the wholesale withdrawal of slaveholding class from the actual fighting which this rule made possible gave rise to the intense and growing dissatisfaction. It was necessary during these critical times to insist more than usual that slavery was a fine thing for the poor white, except for slavery, it was said, the poor would occupy the position in society that the slaves do, and as the poor in the North and in Europe do, for there must be a menial class in society in every civilized country on the globe, besides the Confederate States, the poor and the inferiors and menials of the rich, slavery was a greater blessing to the non-slave holding poor man than the owners of slaves, and since it gave to the poor a start in society that it would take them generations to work out they should thank god for it and fight and die as they would at their own liberty and the dearest birthright of freedom we've talked about this i don't know how many times <laughs> a couple the, the point <laughs> the point of reactionary ideology is to see that you have an oppressor 
and an oppressed class that is, is, is further oppressed than you. And the oppressor goes, well, you don't want to be them. They're trying to, to integrate with you to make things fair. They're telling you, you know, they're ahead of you. Um, it's, it's your job to stay ahead of them. That's where you're getting, we're giving you the luxury. We're keeping you ahead of them. Go strike the people that are lower than you. And people go, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, we see that with the United States, you know, it's, it's the, the same thing. You know, would you like to be in a war torn country? Would you like to be in a third world country? Go, you know, go, if you like, if you hate the United States so much, go move to Iraq or, you know, this is what that means. Yep. Right. It means they're supposed to be below us. If you want to, if you want to fall down to their ranks and fall down to the ranks, never mind the oppressor that's making things worse for both of you, uh, that you should be fighting. Never mind the moral duty and the fact that these are human beings and they're even worse off than you are. And you can see how bad you are and how scared you are of falling down to where they are. Don't, instead of thinking, you know, oh shit, there was nobody that should we live in that level of oppression and that level of having not. Uh, and that level of violence, it's designed to make you think, oh, well, I don't want to be down there. So that, that seems like the easier thing to fight off. I'm going to stave that off and, and, and beg to my oppressor, and then I'm going to reverse engineer how that's moral. That's right-wing ideology. That's always right-wing ideology. It's a very, very American thing in this case, especially especially through racism. And, of course, I mean, as we talk about now, racism, uh, settler colonialism, imperialism, things like that. You know, xenophobia. But uh, – but no, the poor wh- you've, oh, go you've gone. Daddy's turn. But the poor whites were losing faith. They saw that poverty was fighting the war, not wealth. Those who could stay out of the army under color of the law were likely to be advocates of a more numerous and powerful army. Not so with many of those who were not favored with position and wealth. They grudgingly took up arms and condemned the law which had snatched from them their homes. The only difference was a circumstance of position and wealth. And perhaps these were just the things that had caused heartburnings in more peaceful times. The sentiments of thousands in the upland counties, countries who had little interest in the war and who were not accustomed to the rigid centralized control was probably well expressed in the following epistle addressed to President Davis by a conscript. It is with intense, multifariously proud satisfaction that he gazes for the last time upon our holy flag, that symbol and sign of an adorned trinity, cotton, hard n-word, and chivalry. This attitude of the poor whites had in it much fear and jealousy of Negroes as dissatisfaction with slave barons. Economic rivalry with blacks became a new living threat as the blacks became laborers and soldiers in a conquering northern army. If the Negro was to be free, where would the poor white be? Why would he fight against the blacks and his victorious friends? The poor white not only began to desert and run away, but thousands followed the Negro into the northern camps. Meantime, with perplexed and laggard steps, the United States government followed the footsteps of the black slave. It made no difference how much Abraham Lincoln might protest that this was not a war against slavery, because he really believed that, because he definitely didn't want to free the slaves. Uh, right. Or ask General McDowell if it would not be well to allow the armies to bring back those fugitive slaves which had crossed the Potomac with our troops, a communication which was marked secret. Again, Lincoln wanted to give fugitive slaves back to their owners. He was not for abolition. He was forced into it. Period. It was in vain that Lincoln rushed entreaties and then commands to Fremont in Missouri not to emancipate the slaves of rebels and then had to hasten similar orders to Hunter in South Carolina. The slave, despite every effort, was becoming the center of the war. Lincoln, with his uncanny insight, fuck off, began to see it. He began to talk about compensation for emancipated slaves in Congress. Ugh. Uh, following almost too quickly past the Confiscation Act in August 1861, freeing slaves which were actually used in the war by the enemy. Lincoln then suggested the provision be made for colonization of such slaves. He simply could not envision free Negroes in the United States. Couldn't envision free black people in the U.S. This is your great emancipator. Couldn't imagine free black people in the U.S. Ugh. <clears throat> Lincoln then suggested that. Pro- oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got that. Um, yeah, couldn't envision what would become. Yeah. What would you uh, me- meanwhile, what would become of them? What would they do? Meantime, the slave kept looming. New Orleans was captured and the whole black population of Louisiana began streaming towards it. When Vicksburg fell, the center of perhaps the vastest Negro population in North America was tapped. They rushed into the Union lines. Still, Lincoln held off and watched symptoms. Greeley's prayer of 20 millions received the curt answer less than a year before emancipation that the war was not to abolish slavery. And if Lincoln could hold the country together and keep slavery, he would do it. 
but he could not. And he had no sooner said this than he began to realize that he could not. In June 1862, slavery was abolished in the territories. The compensation with possible colonization was planned for the District of Columbia. Representatives and senators from the border states were brought together to talk about extending this plan to their states. But they hesitated. In August, Lincoln faced the truth, front forward. And that truth was not simply that Negroes ought to be free. It was that thousands of them already were free. And either the power which slaves put in the hands of the South was to be taken from it, or the North could not win the war. Either the Negro was to be allowed to fight, or the draft itself would not bring enough white men into the army to keep up the war. More than that, unless the North faced the world with the moral strength of declaring openly that they were fighting for the emancipation of slaves, they would probably find that the world would not would recognize the South as a separate nation, that ports would be opened, that trade would begin, and that despite all the military advantage of the North, the war would be lost. He really, really didn't want to free slaves. No, he was backed into a corner. And even then was looking for any alternative that wasn't mm-hmm. free the slaves. He didn't mm-hmm. want to do it. This is exactly the same thing as the, this is exactly the thing that happens to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court yeah. seems to get lionized as this like progressive body that makes these grand declarations of of rights of people. But everyone always seems to ignore the fact that they do it 30 years after they make an official decision saying they absolutely don't believe that. And it's only when they are so backed into a corner and forced by such wild popular demand that to not do it would be suicide. Like, look, again, marriage yeah. equality. Um, what, well, like 80% of the population was like, of, of course, of course, people, everyone should be able to get married. Like, duh, that's a basic human right. They mm-hmm. had to get to that level before the Supreme Court touched it. And then it's, oh, yeah. yes, RVB, y'all, our savior, yay. Ignore the fact that they make every ruling counter to that right up until the fact that they are forced to do the right thing. That's Lincoln. Mm-hmm. But Lincoln is still lionized as this great emancipator and this great humanitarian. And, oh, he fought the war. Fuck off. He's not. He's a shitty politician who had bad political instincts and just happened to bumble fuck his way through a war that he actively was trying to lose and actively trying to keep capital in place during. Fuck Abraham Lincoln. Fuck him. Fuck him hard. I will I will for forever uh, refer to him as Abraham Civil War Bumblefuck Lincoln. There you go. Abraham Bumblefuck Lincoln. That's it's, it's just what he is. <laughs> Fuck off. Ugh. In August 1862, Lincoln discussed emancipation as a military measure. In September, he issued the preliminary proclamation on January 1st, 1863. He declared that the slaves of all persons in rebellion were henceforth and henceforward and forever free. The guns at Sumter, the marching armies, the fugitive slaves, the fugitives as contraband, spies, servants, and laborers, the Negro as a soldier, as a citizen, as a voter. These steps came from 1861 to 1868 with regular beat that was almost rhythmic. It was the price of the disaster of war, and it was a price that few Americans at first dreamed of paying or wanted to pay. The North was not abolitionist. It was overwhelmingly in favor of Negro slavery, so long as it didn't interfere with Northern moneymaking. But on the other hand, there was a minority of the North who hated slavery with perfect hatred, who wanted no union with slaveholders, who fought for freedom and treated Negroes as men. As the abolition democracy gained in prestige and in power, they appeared as prophets and led by states by and led by statesmen. They began to guide the nation out of the morass into which it had fallen. They and their black friends and the new freedmen became gradually the leaders of a reconstruction of democracy in the United States, while marching millions sang the noblest war song of the ages to the tune of John Brown's body. I don't know that tune. Uh, 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 my, I, I believe, yeah, this, this is the, the oh, song of the union. Oh, the, this is the battle hymn of the, is the my bat- eyes have seen the coming of the glory of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage, the grapes of wrath restored. He hath loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible sword. His truth is marching Look at us, guys. Glory, glory, hallelujah. We did it. We did it. If that manages to sync up in any meaningful way, holy shit. It'll be awful. We can't sing. We can't sing to save our fucking lives. But if I'm I'm able to sync that up into any sort. Of, all right, cool, cool. All right, well, at least I got a sync point. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, once again, uh, John Brand, John Brown finds his way back into the discussion uh-huh. here. Uh, I, I obviously this is because of the timing. Yeah. Um, I, I almost hate that there's you know much less tension 
turn to, of course, like say Nat Turner. Um, but um, obviously, you know, with the timing of, of John Brown's rebellion and, and the yeah. spark of the Civil War, it's it's very appropriate through this whole yeah. thing. And uh, so, yeah, oh. you know, I mean, that's that's what we have to emulate is is, you know, putting our, our lives on the line. And, and John Brown wasn't just some dude that just like. I'm a single person chart. I mean, he organized an army rebellion. John Brown did not Leroy Jenkins himself into a rebellion is what you're saying. Yeah. He did not just like, you know, buy a gun and go run full speed. Like we're going to topple area 51 or whatever the (laughs) shit. Like he, (laughs) he formed a small militia. I mean, there was a small militia (laughs) during the area 51 thing. They had a group. It was a couple of them. running Through the the desert together. It was fun. Um, speaking of which, that is the yeah. end of chapter four, the general strike. Uh, but we're yeah. exactly halfway through the episode. So we are going to, as is our want, uh, pay no attention to, to organizational structure and just plow right into chapter five, <laughs> which appropriately enough to our last, uh, sing along is titled The Coming of the Lord. Uh, yeah. I was not aware that we were going to deal with the rapture on this particular, uh, in this particular work, but here we are. Uh, so chapter five, the coming of the Lord subtitle, how the Negro became free because the North could not win the civil war. If he remained in slavery, I feel like we just touched on that and how arms mm-hmm. in his hands and the prospect of million of arms in a million more black hands brought peace and emancipation to America. All right. I wonder if anybody doesn't have time to, to I mean, I, I really want more people to read this and listen to us uh, on this book and stuff like that and, and listen to other sources on this book. But if anybody doesn't have time to read this, I wonder if someone would just like make a summary of the chapter subtitles and just like shove people's <laughs> no. faces and see if they get, get the point. <laughs> I just, because these are, I do love, they're long, but they're no, good. I like this one. This, this one feels very Black Panther, how arms in the hands and the prospects of arms in a million more black hands brought peace in a man. All right. So what you're saying is if we yeah. give every, if we give every black man a gun, we're going to bring peace to America. That's what I just heard right now. Yeah. So that, that sounds, that sounds so right that's the org. I mean, I, that's the org. Proven with the civil war. That's the org I'm starting. I'm starting that org right now. And it's just that we're going to, the first Patreon we have will just be every every time we can afford an AK-47, we will send one to, we'll just spin the wheel and send it to the most revolutionary black person we know, and eventually we'll have gotten to everybody, and then there will be peace in America. I have I have General yeah, Sherman my and, way to solving this problem. And and even though we're in the middle of an episode, uh, just to touch on, on Nathan's joke in a, in a serious fashion, <laughs> no. uh, there is, of course, you know, the, the Huey P. Newton gun club out there uh, doing things from the, the armed side. Uh, in in uh, uh, the uh, spirit of the Black Panthers, uh, of course, the New African Black Panther Party, uh, which uh, you know is is uh, Chaka Zulu and and uh, Kevin Rashid Johnson uh, are started out of prison. Um, you know, there's of course a, a new Black Panther Party, uh, which is separate from the New African Black Panther Party, and the New African Black Panther Party has an entire uh, Panther movement, including Brown Panthers and White Panthers. Um, there's obviously, you know, others serve the people, uh, you know, in, in the, uh, uh, mold of the black Panther party, uh, from woe, uh, W H O A, which we talk about a lot now over in, in Greensboro, uh, to, you know, people's breakfast out in Oakland, uh, stuff like that. So yeah, you know, um, we do talk about not replicating, uh, stuff that's already organized and joining an organization. Uh, I, I, uh, I don't know every in and out of all those orgs, but definitely check them out if you are interested in, in Nathan's, uh, little joking praxis of giving every black man an AK-47 because, uh, uh. I mean, again, proven with the Civil I kinda War. Think, I kind of think you're making Panthers. a big stretch and assuming that I'm joking about that. If I had the means, it would be one of the first parts of my... You give me infinite money and say, how are you solving this problem? One of the first things okay. I do is buy everyone an AK-47. Fair, fair, fair. Mike, no, good. Mike from good. Russia good makes a good gun. We should all have one. <laughs> Three movements, partly simultaneous and partly successive, are treated in different chapters. In the last chapter, we chronicled the swarming of the slaves to meet the approaching Union armies. In this, we consider how these slaves were transformed in part from laborers to soldiers, fighting for their own freedom, and in succeeding chapters, we shall treat the organization of free labor after the war. In the ears of the world, Abraham Lincoln, on the 1st of January, 1863, declared four million slaves thenceforward and forever free. The truth was less than this. Oh, you don't say. The emancipation <laughs> understatement of the goddamn century. Yeehaw. The Emancipation Proclamation applied only to sla- only to slaves of those states or parts of states still in rebellion against the United States government. Uh, seems like a weird thing. 
Uh, the, <laughs> hundreds of thousands of such slaves were already set free by their own action and that of the invading armies. And in their cases, Lincoln's proclamation only added possible legal sanction to an accomplished fact. To the majority of slaves still within the Confederate lines, the proclamation would apply only if they followed the fugitives. And this Abraham Lincoln determined to induce them to do and thus to break the back of the rebellion by depriving the South of its principal labor force. Emancipation thus had two ulterior objects. It was designed to make easier the replacement of unwilling northern white soldiers with black soldiers, and it sought to put behind the war a new push toward northern victory by the mighty impact of a great moral idea, both in the North and in Europe. This national right about face had been gradually and carefully accomplished only by the consummate tact of a leader of men who went no faster than his nation marched, but just as fast, and also by the unwearying will of the abolitionist who forced the nation onward. Wendell Phillips said in Washington in 18... But Nathan, 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 I I thought that, like, the world changed from ideas, and and from ideas, we, we made the world, and Lincoln just thought, what if we freed the slaves? And that proclamation, that's what freed them. He proclaimed nah, it. Yeah, he, he proclaimed he pro- it. Yeah, he, it, he, said a th- he stood out on the grounds and said, I declare bankruptcy, and then if, turned around and went back if home. You're a, if you're a great man, you rise to the top of, of, of society because it's, it's a meritocracy. Um, you know, I mean, you'll be wealthy, you'll be a politician, whatever. I mean, the best of us are, 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 are the engineers and, and, the, and the CEOs. And, and then you have good ideas. And then when you declare those ideas laws, they just happen. You just, you, you did, it's, it's a law. It's, it's, it's legal. It's the law, Nathan. It's the law. You have to read now because of that. This is your punishment. You read now. (laughs) Wendell Phillips said in Washington in 1862, gentlemen of Washington, you have spent for us $2 million per day. You bury two regiments a month, 2,000 men by disease without battle, rob every laboring man of one half of his pay for the next 30 years by your taxes. You place the curse of intolerable taxation on every cradle for the next generation. What do you give us in return? What is the other side of the balance sheet? The North has poured out its blood and money like water. It has leveled every fence of the constitutional privilege, and Abraham Lincoln sits today a more unlimited despot than the world knows on his side of uh this side of China. What does he render the North for this unbounded confidence showing us something? Or I tell you within two years, the indignant reaction of the people will hurl the cabinet in contempt from their seats. And the devils went out from yonder capital, for there had been no sweeping or garnishing will come back seven times stronger. For I do not believe that Jefferson Davis driven down to the Gulf will go down to the waters and perish as certain brutes of men did in the gospel. Uh, that feels very Fox news. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit, a little bit, a little bit. A <laughs> little bit, a little bit. Uh, Horace Greeley was at Lincoln's heels. He wrote in August 1862 in his editorial, Prayer of 20 Millions, which drew Lincoln's well-known reply, if there be those who would not save the Union unless they could at the same time save slavery, I do not agree with them. If there could be those who would not save – oh, I'm sorry, could not at the same time destroy slavery, I do not agree with them. My paramount object in the struggle is to save the Union and is not either to save or destroy slavery. If I could save the Union without freeing any slaves, I would do it. If I could save it by freeing all the slaves, I would also do that. What I do about slavery and the colored race, I do because I believe it and it would help save the union. It is almost like Democrats going, no, sir, we're we're patriots. Yeah. We're we love America. I love the soldiers. And, and well, the Republicans are like, ah, Nancy Pelosi is a communist who's going to burn us all alive. All he wants to do is keep the status quo. Abraham Lincoln yeah. was desperate for status quo. That's uh-huh. all he wanted. He wanted it at any uh-huh. cost. If that cost inevitably came to freeing the slaves, which is wildly mm-hmm. not the status quo, but if he has to give that up no. to get everybody else back in and keep mm-hmm. capital running at its pace because any more disruption to capital than has already happened and this whole thing's going off the rails and they knew that. Yes. Um, again, his secretary of the treasury was a member of the Chase family. They they were aware of how capital worked. Um, <laughs> yeah, they were going to do it. This was not, I don't, I'm going to yeah. bang, I don't give a shit if I'm being redundant. I'm going to bang this drum until fucking everybody hears it. Abraham Lincoln didn't want to fucking free slaves. He was not good. No, he, sucks. he was literally just a mushy fucking centrist who was driven by 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 popular opinion only. All he gave a shit about mm-hmm. was what does everybody else think is going to happen? Okay, as soon as everyone else thinks that, then I'll think that. He had no original thought other than fucking take saying 3% of Louisiana should be able to decide what happens and sending all the black mm-hmm. people off to colonize Central America. He's a fucking idiot. Abraham Abraham Bumblefuck Lincoln. Thank you very much. Abraham 
Abraham Bumblefuck Lincoln was Chuck Schumer, the Civil War president. Yeah. Yeah, I'll take that. That's yeah, what he no, was. That. That's just what I'll he was. That. Yeah. Yep. Fuck you, Lincoln. Oh. Suppose I do that. <laughs> Suppose I do that, said Lincoln to Greeley, discussing general emancipation. There are now 20,000 of our muskets on the shoulders of Kentuckians who are bravely fighting our battles. Every one of them will be thrown down or carried over to the rebels. Let them do it, said Greeley. The cause of the Union will be stronger if Kentucky should secede with the rest than it is now. In September 1862, Lincoln said representatives of the Chicago Protestants, I admit that slavery is at the root of the rebellion, or at least it's seen quote sine quo non i'm not sure what that latin phrase is uh i will also concede that emancipation would help us in europe i grant further that it would help somewhat at the north though not so much i fear as you that those you represent imagine and then unquestionably it would weaken the rebels by drawing off their laborers which would be of great importance but i am not so sure we could do much with the blacks If, if we were to arm them i fear that in a few weeks the arms would be in the hands of the rebels what good would a proclamation of emancipation for me do especially if we are now situated i do not want to issue the document the whole world to see must unnecessarily be inoperative like the pope's bull against the comet nevertheless just nine days later lincoln issued his uh, preliminary emancipation proclamation what <laughs> What caused a sudden change was that the mounting mass of Negroes rushing to the Union lines was the fighting of the Negro soldiers, which showed that the weapons give to them were never found in the hands of Confederates. Or was it the curious international situation? I love that too, Ling. It's like, look, I'm totally, I, I refuse to release an emancipation proclamation. And then like narrative voice nine days yeah. later, and he releases an emancipation proclamation. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Uh, the failure or success of the war hung by a thread. If England and France should recognize the Confederacy, there was little doubt that the Union cause would be beaten and they were disposed to recognize it. Or did Lincoln realize that since a draft law was needed to make unwilling northern soldiers fight, black soldiers were the last refuge of the Union? The preliminary proclamation became in September and on October and November, mass meetings in New York and Brooklyn denounced the proposal as inexpedient and adopted resolutions against it with jeers. Ministers like the Reverend Albert Barnes of Philadelphia preached against emancipation, declaring that the control of slavery ought to be left absolutely and exclusively to the states. States rights. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> and this was in Philadelphia, which, uh, yeah, I mean, move nine. Uh, I mean, Philadelphia's got some some racist history. Oh, you don't we'll say. say that. Oh, you don't say. Really? Yeah, yeah. Huh. yeah. Philly. Yeah. Hmm. A notoriously um, progressive town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and for people who aren't familiar, uh, this was recently the the thirty uh, fifth anniversary, anniversary of the of the, of the, the bombing, bombing of the move nine. So yeah, uh, make yourself first one with that. that all the uh, uh, surviving members have been free for because everyone's yeah. out. Uh, the New York Herald pointed out that even in the proclamation, even if the proclamation was effective, slave property would have to be restored or paid for eventually by the United States government. The Herald is correct. The slaves taken over from us citizens during the war have been accounted for at its end, either by restoration or internment. Indemnity. The New Orleans indemnity. Sorry, uh, the New Orleans Picayune pointed out in November that the abolition would flood the North with Negroes, and that this would tend to degrade white labor and to cheapen it. The final, final proclamation the, was on issued you. on January first, eighteen sixty-three, and carried a special ad- admonition to the colored people. And I hereby enjoin upon the people so declared to be free to abstain from all violence unless in necessary self-defense. And I recommend to them in all cases where allowed, they labor faithfully for reasonable wages. Fuck you, Lincoln. Fuck you just so hard. (laughs) And I further declare and make known that such persons of suitable condition will be received into the armed service of the United States to garrison forts, positions, stations, and other places, and to man vessels of all sorts in said service. And upon this act, sincerely believed to be an act of justice, warranted by the Constitution, uh, upon military necessity, I invoke the considerate judgment of mankind and the gracious favor of Almighty God. The Charleston Courier (laughs) jeered. The Pope's bull against the comet has been issued, and I suppose Mr. Lincoln now breathes more freely. The wonderful man, by a dash of his wonderful pen, has set free, on paper, all of the slaves of the South, and henceforth, this is to be in all lengths and breadths the land of liberty. 
Meanwhile, I would invite his own and the attention of all his deluded followers to a paragraph in the late number of the New Orleans Picune, wherein it is stated that inquests have been held upon the bodies of 21 contrabands in one house alone in that city. These poor Negroes had been stolen or enticed away from the comfortable homes of their masters, vomit, and left to starve and rot by the philanthropic advocates of liberty for the slave. The Savannah Republican in March declared, in our judgment, so far as the border states are concerned, his proposition will have exactly the opposite effect to that of for which it was designed. Those states who have held on to the Union with the belief that their Southern sisters were hasty and wrong and the belief that uh, that they were about to be brought under an abolition government will now see that they were right and all their worst apprehensions have been justified by the acts of the government. This is just reading Breitbart headlines from the 1800s and I don't like it, any of it. It, it, it. It is. You're, you're you're just proving that that you're trying to destroy white people, and that's that's exactly how it feels. It's it's disgusting. Uh, Beauregard sent an impugment telegram to Miles at Richmond. Has the bill for execution of abolition of prisoners for January next been passed? Do it, and England will be stirred into action. It's high time to proclaim the black flag after that period. Let execution uh, be with the garrote. Uh, the reaction to emancipation in the North was unfavorable, <laughs> you don't say, uh, so far as political results indicated. Although many motives influenced the voters, the elections of 1862 in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana, and Illinois went Democratic. And in other parts of the West, Lincoln lost support. In the Congress of 1860, there were 78 Republicans and 37 Democrats. In 1862, the administration only had 57 supporters with 67 in opposition. Only among Negroes and in England was the reaction favorable and both counted. The proclamation made four and a half million laborers willing almost in mass to sacrifice their last drop of blood for their newfound country. It sent them into transports of joy and sacrifice. It changed all of their pessimism and despair and a boundless faith. It was the coming of the Lord. Uh, and not only do I love the beautiful prose of of uh, Du Bois there, uh, but I, I, I want to be very clear on, on how well he made that point. I mean, you listen to these horrible, like you said, Breitbart headlines of, of how Lincoln is, you know, he's bringing on anarchy, you know, the black flag quote, and he's, he's, he's just going to make it worse. You're, you're, you're doing your enemies a favor when, when you say that you want to destroy America, you know, I mean, all that, that, that huff and puff bullshit. Uh, but what really mattered were, were the people fighting for you on the ground. And when he made that Emancipation Proclamation, because he knew he had to, all the voting, all the white people, all the reaction went against him. Yeah. None of that shit mattered. The people on the ground with the guns, uh, the people on the ground who determined production, the people on the ground with the real power turned for you. Who gives a shit if it polls poorly? Who gives a shit if you know, 60% of the country turns to pearl clutching. If that 60% of the country aren't armed, aren't the ones with power, I really want to drive that in. Oh my God. Lincoln, the, the great bubbling dumbass realized this. Okay. Who gives a fuck if every editorial out there, if, if, you know, every, every, you know, voter out there gets pissed off at you and says, what do you mean? You know, America's a settler colony and we should destroy it. What do you mean that, you know, we should pull out of all these wars? What do you mean the military sucks? What do you mean that it's, it's racist and we should abolish prisons? Oh my God. Because the people that have something to fight for, uh, the people that are armed and organized and, and really make those gears of production work. We're further on his side and we're now ready to die for something because there was something to die for. And that, that is what matters. Yeah. And that maybe, I mean, the history, uh, the, the way the materialism played out in this country, huge takeaways we should take from this book. But that may be the biggest one, the accidental Lincoln takeaway right there. Yeah. Yeah, and again, accident. I don't. I don't ever want to. I've done it before, and I'm doing it a little bit. No, now. don't give Lincoln credit for no. that. He was just. He was. He was working as a military strategist. Uh, opportunity. Exactly, and he was everything um, he was doing but, was doing intentionally. His acts were not up like he was mm -hmm. actively working against emancipating. So he was actively working to keep the status quo alive mm -hmm. through all of these measures. Yeah. Um. And again, you know, it was it was the the uh, black slaves and the black freedmen uh, that made this the right move for mm -hmm. him, that made this the expedient move. Uh, but this was the obvious expedient move because you were at war. And we should understand, and this is something we've said you know, before, it's not that we need to start a class war. 
there's always a class war. We're just the only side taking casualties, you know? Um, So in this class war, don't be apologetic. Raise, raise the fervor, raise the spirits and, and more importantly, raise the organization and, and serve the needs of the people that you're fighting for. Who gives a shit if it pulls well? Who gives a shit if it upsets the sensibilities? Who gives a shit if, you know, the, the middle class will pearl clutch all the much, all that much harder? Who gives a shit if all the media will come raining down on you? Who cares? What matters is power in your hands and organizing that and exercising that for liberation. Yeah, moving no, on. We're not moving on. That's the end of the. That's the end of the episode. We're ending it right there. That's, oh, that's, that's the end of the episode. We're, okay. we're close okay. enough yeah. that that's. I'm I'm calling it on that one. That right, was a fine. damn good. Uh, that was a damn good closer. So I'm gonna take it where I can get it. All right. Um. All right. So this has been this has been uh, uh, Mark's Madness. We we do this mm-hmm. uh, every week until we start doing it twice a week. Um. And we will do that until the end of linear time or until mm-hmm. the revolution, whichever one happens first. Um. Yeah. That being said, if you want to uh, uh, correct us on something or just want to talk to us or just want to, you know, hang out and chill or correspond, uh, we can be reached in three distinct ways. First, you can email <laughs> us. That's marksmadnesspod at gmail.com. Uh, you can tweet at us just regularly or our DMs are open as well if you prefer that method. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is at marksmadnesspod uh, on Twitter. And if you would prefer to have a more real-time dialogue uh, going on, you can uh, get in on the Dumb and Awful Discord, which is where I live basically full-time, depending on where my mental health is at. And David is a you know traveling salesman who pokes his head in every once in a while to uh, to say hi and, and check in on the kids. Uh, and and that one, you can find the link to that. It is in our Twitter bio, um, and you it's open. You just get in. You don't need an invitation. But if you need the link some other way, email us. Let me know. I can get you that that link to get you mm-hmm. in. Um, it is a great place. You know, everyone's super super duper show. We have a whole we have a whole uh, room. That is uh, dedicated. Was dedicated to uh, tendency fighting for a long time, uh, and it was just screaming. That's now just basically become like, "Hey, ed- educate people, talk to people about stuff." It's really cool. It's fun. It's 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 an evolving, fun, hype, hype, nice place. Uh, so that being said, uh, this is Mark's Madness. My name is Nathan. My name is David, and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>